Hello everybody and welcome to the History Voyager. My name is Benjamin Kitchings. As always, there are a zillion podcasts out there. Thank you very, very much for listening to mine. Today on the History Voyager, I talk with John Dorsey, who is a props guy in basically film and television, working mainly out of Virginia. And we had an interesting conversation. He also runs essentially what is a podcast, which I will leave a link below in the description. Anyway, as always, I'm having a great day and hope you are too. And there's lots of really cool guests coming on the History Voyager. And um, just enjoy the podcast. All right, everybody. Thank you. This call is now being recorded. I'm here with uh, John Dorsey. And why don't you tell the good people that listen to the History Voyager why I wanted to talk to you so badly? Uh, well, because I believe that you have a degree in film. Uh, I myself went to, call, to school for a film degree, gosh, over 10 years ago at this point, and I currently work in the film industry as a prop guy. Yeah, and... I mean, I have a little bit of an understanding that film is actually kind of a, I don't want to say a blue-collar job, but, you know, it's not exactly what people would want you to think. I mean, what some people would want you to think. It is Um, certainly less glamorous than people think it is. I like to think of it as a light blue-collar job. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But uh, we are we are closer to carpenters than we are to movie stars. That is the truth. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was looking at I was looking at your IMDb page um, today, and you know, last few days, and I saw that you've been working on quite a few films. Um, I have. I'm pretty pumped for Wonder Woman 1984 to come out. I was the B-unit prop master on that movie as well as just being a part of the prop department. But um, Yeah. Why don't you explain to the good people what a B-unit prop master is? So I think it's easier to kind of start with what a prop guy does. Um, you know, okay. if you watch the credits of movies, you'll see it's, it's all under art department, but you'll see that there are like set dressers and production designers and everything like that. The way I like to describe my job is that if you're watching a movie and there's a glass of water and you're noticing levels of, you know, the levels of the water are going up and down, um, I'm the guy that screws that up, which is really the easiest way to put it. Um, so uh, prop people deal with anything that someone touches in a movie. So... For instance, if somebody's sitting on a couch, it's not a prop, but if they throw the couch, now it's a prop. (laughs) And that's per union rules, right? That's per union rules. It's also just a way to break work down. The larger a project gets, the less responsibility you have. So, you know, I've had days where I'm handling food and making sure cars are working right. And, you know, all on top of, like, do we have the right paperwork in the actor's hand today? Or there have been days where I just, I, I hold a cell phone for an actor. And it kind of, you know, it'll, it'll wax and wane. The job's never the same uh, twice, which is what I like about it. Now, let me ask you, um, are you comfortable in, I mean, I'm, I think I'm following you on Instagram, but I saw, I know I saw your Instagram. Are you comfortable with telling the good people of, that listen to the History Voyager uh, where it is you mainly do your movies or, or whatever? Yeah, no, that's fine. I, I'm a member of Local 487, which covers the D.C., Virginia, Maryland area. We used to also cover Philly um, a while ago, and I believe we covered parts of Delaware. So, you know, every union has its own territory and their own specialties, and we're kind of like – we we have a pretty wide base of labor yeah. as a part of our union, but um, you know, being a part of the DC area, we don't 
have a lot of, you know, full-time shows. We had House of Cards for a very long time, but we tend to get bites of everything because people come to D.C. to film. But, um, you know, down in Richmond, they film The Walking Dead, and they're currently filming a TV show called Swagger. I did a, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I worked on a very cool miniseries down there called The Good Lord Bird uh, last year, which is probably one of the most fun jobs I've ever had. And it's, it's a interesting area, to say the least. So that's it. So that's interesting. The Walking Dead, you said, moved to Richmond? So it's the third Walking Dead. It's Walking Dead, The World Beyond. It's kind of their young adult spinoff. Um, Richmond oh. tends to get uh, historic dramas a lot. Uh, Lincoln was filmed down there. Uh, John Adams. Um, Turn was also filmed in Richmond. And Virginia itself has a tax credit, so people come to the state to film there and yeah, it's a beautiful right. area down there. You can kind of get city, you get country. Yeah. Well, I mean, I live in Metro Atlanta, so I mean, the way I like to say it, the way I like to say it is, you know, my, I mean, you can go on Google Earth and there's like a suburb of Metro Atlanta, and you can go on Google Earth and like in real time you can actually see it. You, you can literally see like Hollywood or whatever you want to call that. The movies, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, take over this one town in Metro Atlanta, like the offices and stuff. If you let us do it, we will. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 amazing. Like I watch a movie now, and like I'm like, oh, let's play pick out where Ben used to live. Oh, I used, to live. <laughs> you know, like that's that's my highway. Like you know, oh, like, for oh sure. Yeah. Um. So tell me, okay, can you talk about kind of the changes in the movie world that you've seen in the last 10 years? Yeah, well, I, you know, I'm of the younger generation, or was, and now I've kind of noticed that the older guys that used to not pay attention to me are talking to me now. It's like, oh, God, now I'm one of the old guys. Um, but a lot of it is, just a lot a lot of movie making has gotten easier in a lot of ways but uh with all the digital access because when i when i started you know iphones were you know just kind of taking off and obviously you can answer emails on your phone which is huge and you know now with being able to have all of this information because movies require a huge amount of info and like how so? Are you talking just in kilobytes, or I mean, are you talking actual information? Well, so the amount of paper that you need on a movie set, because there's the map of everything, you know, laid out. There's not only there's the schedule. You know, I, as a prop guy, have to do a lot of continuity. So a lot of my job on, say, like you know, House of Cards, it was just making sure that people were putting things in the right place. And, you know, obviously we can take photos with our, car you know, our, our phones now. But, mm -hmm. you know, if I have to leave set, I can upload those to someone else. So there's a lot of ways that we can communicate with each other. But because information is becoming easier to disseminate, um, movie making has actually gotten a little bit faster in a lot of ways, which makes our jobs harder because things can change very very quickly underneath you, which, you know, and that's a part of your job and you deal with it. But, you know, the people I work with and who trained me talk a lot about how when uh, movies were shot on film and you actually had to wait for the camera to be reloaded, you know, that's, that's maybe like five yeah. minutes that you're standing around and, you know, a, a, a full size movie is like $400,000 a day, right? Like just, just lit on fire, being burnt across labor and site rental. <laughs> and, you know, right. five minutes equals a lot of money. But now, and, and so back in the day, like you had a plan, you stuck to it, they knew what they were doing. But, you know, today with the ability to, you know, a script changes, that rolls down, now we've got, we need new things. The photos go out to the art department, this person, and, 
yeah. you know, this person can get on their phone and everybody can plan from there. While, you know, one of my mentors, Jason, you know, he talked about, you know, this huge bag of coins that he had to, you know, have on him at any given point because he had to use pay phones back in the day in order to call back to the officer or have changes. So, you know, cell phones and computers and being able to, you know, work remotely has greatly changed the film industry for the better in a lot of ways. Um, Right. When I hear about and when I hear about, oh yeah, it never used to change. You know, we would just make a plan and stick to it. I'm like, wow, that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> I've, well, I I did a day on Veep where we, you know, I was a set dresser then, and we spent 12 hours building a set, and then at 30 minutes before we were going to shoot that set, they cut it, and we killed ourselves to get that thing ready. And that's just kind of a part of the game today. Yeah. Um, there's actually a, there's a story that I'm remembering and the story goes, um, a certain famous director that lots and lots of people know about, right, was essentially lying to the home office. Okay. He was lying about the movie that he was shooting to the home office. And it's a movie that everybody's seen or lots of people know about. And what he was doing was he was putting, like he was shooting one and he'd put those in Brinks trucks and drive and have them drive all the way across New York so that the, the big wigs could take a look at it. And then while that, that was going on, he was shooting the movie he was really shooting. It strikes me today you couldn't do that because you're uploading so fast. You would still be surprised. I've never been on – I've never seen anything like that. I've seen some – I've, I've seen some some not wholesome business practices done that I don't like. I can't talk about, but right. at the same time, it's just you know when when before I worked on movies, you know, I, I, I remember watching and it's like, why did they do it like that? I can't believe it. You know, if I was in charge, I'd do this and that and this and that, and you know working on movies now you just it's it's a meat grinder and you know you can try to change your mind at certain points or how how so how is it a meat how is it a meat grinder well try and get think about trying to get your friends all on the same page to go on like a weekend trip right Mm -hmm. everybody's got the same goal we're all we all want to go to the same point and then try it to pick a time to leave, right? Okay. And then everybody's going to be like, I, I can't do this, I can't do that, and then, all right, what do we want to eat? And like, ah, well, it's, you know, this is going to be like that. Okay, what do we want to do? And ah, this and that. But now imagine you're doing it with, like, 200 people. Right. And it's a bunch of different departments, and if if you say that something is going to go a certain way, because I've, I've been on set where directors didn't really know what they were doing. And the chaos that played with us because they were making up where the camera was going. So, you know, this camera swinging around wildly is something you don't think about. And it's, it's the least sexy part of, you know, filmmaking, but it's something that I think about a lot. It's like, where's our equipment going to sit for the rest of the day? And if you have to move it around a lot, that's a bunch of people who are down just pushing heavy carts to make sure that they don't get on camera. And, you know, if you think about that, you know, you keep on, you know, the more stuff that's going on, like now you're moving trucks, you're doing this, and, you know, the people who are in charge, they keep an eye on it, but every once in a while, you'll kind of watch, like, someone will realize what's happening and kind of, like, <laughs> see the fear in their eyes, of like, oh, God, that's what's going down? Without, I mean, without naming names or whatever, have you ever heard of, have you ever heard of a movie that got, like, you know, they they got to where they were shooting it, and they were they were doing this and that, and it was I, about. I, I can I can name names. Uh, there was a uh, miniseries that was uh, going to be on HBO about um, about the the adventures of Lewis and Clark, and they got I think like a third into shooting it, and they just you know they saw the footage and they're like you know what nope, and they just pulled the plug, and I think this was like three years ago, I knew people that were working on that, and I met them later. And 
while it doesn't seem it's not that it happens all the time, but if it does happen, it's not terrible. I mean, it's bad for the people working on the movie, but it, it happens. You know, projects end. And sometimes... Why they, did the... I mean, can you tell me why the Lewis and Clark show... That... Usually, if I had to guess, it probably came down to money, or maybe it just wasn't what they were thinking, or, you know, when you hear about TV shows and projects getting canceled, maybe there was a regime change. It was probably nothing personal. I don't know of any detail, but, you know, yeah. movie sets are like anything else. Like, you'll be working on a project at work, and sometimes you get halfway through, and you're like, oh, we're about to be done, and your boss might just say, you know what, like, I'm, I'm putting you on something else. And that can happen in the industry. And it seems, yeah. you know, big, because we all kind of want, you know, movie movie making is kind of one of the only, only industries where, will tell you how the uh, sausage is made. You know, there's so much behind the scenes, like we're not very <laughs> secretive about it, but... There, there, there's a whole genre of film that is literally talking about film. Exactly. <laughs> and <laughs> it's it's just, it's it's a reality where stuff like that can happen. I, I just had a job drop on me two weeks ago because they couldn't, you know, in the time of COVID, have that many crew members. And, I, you know, I had plans to do things, but it's it's just what happens. I, I would imagine. Um, have you ever – now, I'm sure you can't name names with this, but have you ever heard of a show, movie project, whatever, where they're filming it and they're like, you know what, it's not that this is – the business isn't right or whatever. It's that when you see it on film, it's just not good. It's not a good story. Well, that's, that's, uh, you know, that's what reshoots are for. I've been, I've worked on TV shows where we've reshot entire scenes. And, you know, when you have that much money behind something, if you, if you can do it, you will. Um, yeah. And it's not, it seems catastrophic, but it really is not. Because no. at, at the end of the day, like everyone, everyone wants this thing to succeed. You know? Like, I, I feel like there's a lot of times you read about, you know, executives kind of, you know, muddling things or, or ruining a project. But honestly, how many projects that we don't even know about where an executive stood, you know, stepped in and probably said, like, you know what, this is bad. We need to redo this part. Well, there was that, um, there was that Vietnam movie that was languishing in, um, it was languishing at Paramount for eons because they just, it was too topical. And they finally made it like 20 years later. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> it, the, we are we aren't owed I mean as much as I would love to be owed media. Um you know, it's all made to make money. And if they don't think it's gonna make money it's it's not going anywhere. I can't remember the name of it right now, but it's the one with Michael J. Fox. It's the it's the Vietnam movie with Michael J. Fox in it. And if you look at it, you can really see where, you know, I bet there's a whole generation that wouldn't want to watch that. You know, but um, so where do you think the the movie business is going? Hey, I can tell you that just from working on things, uh, and also having talked to a couple of producers on set, it's yeah, it's just going online. Um, there will always be movie theaters, but um, you know the 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 money is in streaming. So most of the things I work on these days are TV series. Right. That's, that's, that's what people want. Um, when I kind of first got started, I was working on independent film a, a fair amount and commercials are kind of what I cut my teeth on and, you know, a couple mid-sized movies here and there, but now nowadays, I, I personally I like working on TV just because 
it tends to change a little bit more and it's a little bit longer, which is, you know, good for the banks. But yeah, it's, it's mostly, it's going online. I mean, do I have an opinion on it? Not really. Cause I, I mean, probably not. not. It's probably, well, I'll, 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 as long as you're paying me. I'm happy. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, three... times I'm, I've showed up and I've, I've totally forgotten what I'm working on. Like, like you what is this project? And they're like, I, oh, it's this. I'm like, cool. All right. I'll work over there. <laughs> yeah, for you, it's just a job. Um, so do you, like, I mean, like, we're both of the age where we, we remember movies and stuff before the great, I guess, the great comic book, you know, swamping. It feels like every movie's got to be about a comic book now. Uh do you think yeah. that's going to continue, or it's... Well, you know, this this has happened before, and everybody brings this up, you know, like, when is when are comic books going to end? But think about the age of the Western. You know, Westerns were everywhere for over 10 years, and they're still around. And, you know, you had the age of, of noir, which didn't last as long as that. And today... um you know, you have to talk to an economist about it. My theory on why comic book movies are big is I think people work too much, and I think we just don't have enough time to kind of really invest in a heavier story. And I, I don't think that's a failure of audiences. I think that's just a reality of life. You know, when you work hard, when do you want to go home and watch you know, a heavy drama. Like, you you, you don't. You want to, you kind of want to watch somebody win, maybe somebody punch someone else and, you know, some good music yeah. and some good action. And, well, what, you know, like, go ahead. Then I have a thought. Yeah, it's, it'll pass, but it's, it's just the flavor of today. And it already has come. Well, obviously, we're not seeing movies come out because of the situation of this year, but even, like, the production end of them, they're kind of going down. But, you know, some people like popcorn movies. The thing is that there there is still a lot of really great work being made, and there. It's, it's there if you look for it. Chernobyl. I just I just finished up Chernobyl. Yeah. Um, and that's amazing. Know. I don't know if that would be made like 10 years ago. Well, yeah, but the thing I thought you were going to say about genres that came and went uh, was the rom-com, the romantic comedy. Well, even even those are kind of, you know, on Netflix and and Hallmark kind of, you know, they have an entire business model in making those every year and, you know, people watch them. It's, it's it's not that yeah. superheroes have taken over everything. It is that the places you can kind of find the movies that you like exist in different avenues now. And you can go to that place and get what you want. And then maybe the, you know, big movie of the year is no longer when Mary, when, when Harry met Sally, you know, it's, it's like Batman seven, whatever. But, <laughs> You know, there's still, you know, as you said, like, Chernobyl was made, like, a drama about the bureaucracy that that followed Chernobyl. Like, I don't know if that would be made in a time where there was a monoculture, you know? And Right. And I wonder, I wonder if one of the reasons Chernobyl is going to be, I'm going to go out on a very thick limb here, that Chernobyl is going to be seen as a classic. And I wonder if one of the reasons of that is because it was filmed right before COVID. Uh, <laughs> it probably. It's such a weird, like, what, you know, you never know what's going to kind of permeate culture. You know, me and my wife are huge fans of the, uh, you know, the, the horror movie, The Witch, which, like, you know, being seems some, like, memes of it and, have these weird obscure references on Twitter to some of the lines in the movie. 
And um, I don't know. It's 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 weird what takes off. I would have never guessed that it would have been big because when I first read, I was like, "Wow, that 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 thing seems depressing." It was like, "It's great." Well, first of all, it, it's, it's depressing, but it also like you can't come away from that movie and or from that show and not you know not be hit by the fact that. Part of the reason that they had it so bad was because of communism. And with the way we're handling COVID, you know, you have to think about, I have to think about the political theory that runs our country. You know, disasters don't care about your political theory is the lesson of Chernobyl. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, I mean, like, um, wow. So, uh, have you felt what what is Atlanta like in the film world? Do you know or is it... so Atlanta is you know you gotta meet different people from everywhere. You know, I work with people from New York, and New York people tend to be very good at their jobs. And they tend to be very gruff, um, and they tend to work very fast because uh, of working in the city. You know, that kind of necessitates being able to be quick. Uh, people that I work with from L.A., you know, will have sort of neat, like, I often find people from L.A. will have their own little neat trick, but at the same time, because, you know, they're from California, it's a little bit more relaxed, like, they tend to be a little bit more relaxed. And in in Atlanta, the workforce tends to be very young because, while it's drawn people from across the country, you know, I believe Georgia has like, I'm paraphrasing this, I'm probably wrong, like $300 million in tax incentives. You know, the new Pinewood Studios is down there. So there was a lot of opportunity for young people to move up. But, um, you know, any area, you know, film people are just, car- you know, they're just carnival workers. You know, we're just, Right. As long as there's work and there's a crafty table, we're pretty happy and not too much overtime. When you see movies, um, you say movies are are streaming. I mean, the marketplace is streaming, and I totally get that. I mean, I'm living it. Do you see, like, the types of movies, like the variety and types of movies are going to change? Like, it strikes me that, like, I'd watch a different kind of show on a computer than I would be willing to watch in a theater. Like, or on a phone, even. Like, I'm, I'd i be willing to watch, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but there's also kind of no... I think the lesson that people are learning about sort of, like, media today is that there's really no way to guess it. I mean... Um, Netflix is very secretive about how they decide projects, but, you know, you look at their kind of like most recent big hit, excuse me, um, if you look at Queen's Gambit, you know, it's a TV show about a young woman who's a chef genius and, you know, her ascent to the top, which is, I would never guess that that would be the thing that gets them, you know, they released the numbers, like 60 million households watched it. You know, nowadays, uh, that's amazing. That's huge. You know, that's That's astonishing. Yeah. That here, I have to look it up. I'm like my computer. Let me look this up. But 60 million, anything for anything is crazy in this fractured landscape. I mean, because the, I mean, the thing that – so Twitter wasn't around when I was in film school. Like, that's obvious, okay? But the thing I've noticed is that any given show that I watch has to compete with my Twitter feed. Well, you know, uh, you know every everything's competing for everything now. I, I, I play video games, and I realize – you know, I've been working on, like, personal projects lately, and I realized, like, no, I haven't played video games in, you know, two months, but I used to play them every day, and, you know, everything's competing for our attention. Especially during COVID. 
even even during during these times, it's just I don't there there has to be smarter people out there who are kind of reading the tea leaves and figuring out what's going to be a hit and what's not. But, you know, for instance, you know, okay, so I talked about video games. There was one game I was looking forward to playing called Last of Us Part Two, and it takes place in a world where, the, you know, a pandemic turns people into zombies, but it's also very dramatic. And it came out right, like, right as COVID got big. And I had been looking forward to this game for, like, two years. And, you know, I kind of looked at it and was like, I don't want to play this right now. And I haven't. And the team that was working on that, like, I'm sure they were were saying to themselves, like, this is going to be a hit. We're going to have uh, you know, record numbers on this. And then, boom, there's a pandemic. You know, there's yeah. no there's no way to guess what's going to be popular. You know, Star Wars, the reason why George Lucas was so wealthy is because 20th Century Fox allowed him to retain the toy rights because they thought Star Wars was going to be a dud. And now it's owned by Disney and, like, you can go to a theme park that is all Star Wars. And, like, you know, they just didn't know. You never know what it's going to be. Same thing with Jaws. Jaws was thrown in the summer uh, release times because uh, that's like a blockbuster didn't exist. And they were like, oh, a movie about a shark attacking people? This kind of schlocky horror thing? Oh, released during the summer. Biggest movie of the year, you know? But, but John, uh, well, first of all, I realize we've been talking for this long, and I don't think I've got you to say your name. It's uh, It's John Dorsey. John Dorsey. Okay, so, John, the thing I – that I remember about Jaws is this is a case of if, if everything had gone the way it was supposed to go, Jaws would not be remembered today because they only filmed Jaws the way they filmed it because the machine didn't work. The little, the, the mechanical Jaws didn't work. Yeah. So they had to build the horror. <laughs> So let me ask you: Have you have you ever worked on a, a a show or a movie and just thought, "Man, this is going to be a banger! Like this is going to be a hit." Um, man, no, but I've never I've never worked on it. I've, I've worked on a couple real stinkers. I haven't worked on anything that people have been like, whoa. Because even, even when I joined House of Cards, it was on season five. So it wasn't, yeah. like, as big then. Um, so what makes a stinker a stinker from your point of view? I mean, you kind of know. <laughs> like, I worked on this this Bollywood movie that was filmed in Maryland that was kind of a passion project of this this, this lady and her husband and it was very self-indulgent and like we all kind of knew what it was going to be and you know it, when the reviews came out like they were kind of just like we're not quite sure why this movie exists which is you know pretty harsh but yeah. and it's like anything it's not a good story it's just not going to be good but um, I don't know. I, I, working on, you know, I got to work on Wonder Woman. I can't tell you anything specific because I'm very scared right. of the Warner Brothers legal department. But um, no, you know, I wasn't. The biggest thing rest I'd assured, I on. rest assured, I wasn't going to ask about specific right, movies that don't like, exist yet. Seeing <laughs> seeing action sequences from that movie. You know, there, yeah. there, there aren't a ton of moments I've been on set where I've been like, whoa, but even that was, you know, really amazing seeing how those movies are made and just the technical achievements that are part of them. Um, well, I mean, also, and this is kind of what I was getting to earlier. I mean, if I'm sitting in my room watching on my computer, watching Chernobyl, right? For example, right? Mm-hmm. The little tiny moment where, like, the female investigator is talking to the the twenty something kid that messed up in the control room, and he's in the hospital. The little tiny instant 
where her face changes and you just like she gets it like oh right like wow this kid made a mistake and that's why we're sitting here yeah <laughs> that wouldn't have happened in the theater it would have but it wouldn't have hit this you know it wouldn't have hit you the same way you know what I'm saying yeah the it's just the forms being used in a lot of different ways now it's very neat yeah yeah um hmm so is there like a so okay you said Bollywood movies getting made in Virginia and I know about Chinese movies getting made in Georgia and things like that but does that happen a lot where foreign films get made you in know, Virginia and, and, because movies can kind of be made anywhere now, um, you, I'm no longer surprised to hear about any type of movie being made anywhere. Uh, I guess it was two years ago now, I worked on a Korean uh, thriller that um, was shooting in, in D.C. And, you know, they, they started there and shot the rest of the movie in Korea. I've worked on a Chinese movie that came to town. Um it's not common. Uh, you know, DC area yeah. areas tend to have specialties. So, you know, I began my career working a lot in Baltimore. So that's a lot more kind of like city, you know, urban based projects that, you know, sometimes deal with like crime. And then, you know, as I said in Virginia, because of the amount of historic properties down there, that'll usually be, you know, shows that are set during like colonial period and onwards. But, um, you know, once you get the bigger areas like New York, Atlanta, Los Angeles, where they have, you know, giant stages where they can pretty much build whatever they want, then it's kind of, you know, it's whatever, whatever works. <laughs> as long as the tax incentive goes through, pretty much areas aren't being used as much for their architecture as they used to be because of the right. amount of digital manipulation that you can do now. Um, that, you know, that is crazy. I, I saw the, like the, it was the picture of the direwolves and how the direwolves evolved because of computers. Like because absolutely. of the CGI. Um, you said you worked on a Chinese movie. Um, yes. Have you noticed, I mean, was there any difference between working on like a, a movie made in China versus anywhere else in the world or not really? Well, so it was, it was over here and the, there's not a lot of difference that I can tell between movie crews that much because then maybe there's like a different work culture, but you know, people that work on movies, they hustle, you know, they're organized. Um, they might have a different crew structure, but there isn't, too much difference because at, at a certain point you you can certainly there's a bunch of ways to make a movie but there's only so many ways to make one well um, and at least at my experience with working with crews um, from abroad I mean everybody is generally pretty pretty solid I, I would I would say it's more like aesthetics choices and for instance the movie that I worked on that was from Korea you know one of the common things we do on American movies is um, not make things dirty but at least give them texture so you know the next time you watch a TV show uh, look at the license plate of the car and you'll notice that there are almost never brand new license plates. Like, nothing is very shiny unless the entire movie is that way, and that's because we don't want your eye to be drawn there, right? And on the uh, Korean movie I worked on, like, I was ready to make stuff dirty. So, like, you know, there was a scene that required uh, a stack of bills, you know, for, like, a, you know, back back alley deal, and I was, you know, getting ready to, to just rub the fake money so that it looked like it had been in a couple wallets, and you know, my prop counterpart from Korea, you know, he came over and was like, no, 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 we want it crisp, we want it clean, 
And it was the same thing for the license plate. And, you know, I'm sure that's just, an, you know, that's an aesthetic choice. It might have only been for that movie. Um, every I Korean love, movie I've ever seen, I got to say, every Korean movie I've ever seen. Yeah, you're right. They're very clean. Yeah. And, it's, up. and that's also, um, it's well worth the... The fee, I, I subscribe to the Criterion channel online. Okay. And they actually have been having a Korean film retrospective, and they talk a lot how Korean cinema, cinema was really influenced by American, you know, the, like American cinema, especially, you know, uh, Coppola and Spielberg and these people doing these, like, very grand movies. So when Korea, which is still kind of going through its, its own renaissance and Korean filmmakers are just some of the best on the planet now. And, um, because they originally had less to work with, they were doing more with the camera and doing a lot more like composed image images, uh, as opposed to, you know, American movie making where in hell, uh, you think about, uh, the French connection, they didn't even have permits for the car chase scene and they were getting into car accidents. It's insane. You know, yeah, what was the movie, uh, uh, the original Italian job? Um, that was guerrilla style too. Well, yeah. that's, oh, we should probably explain what that is. That's where you film a movie without any permits. Which you should not do. Because it's illegal not. and very dangerous. <laughs> and, uh, right. <laughs> I, at any time, I have been on a project that's like, let's do a grill sign. I'm like, cool, I won't be there. Because that's how people get arrested and or hurt. Well, right. And also, like, some movies actually go out of their way, or at least they seem to. They go out of their way to to make it seem guerrilla style. But you can kind of tell it probably isn't. Like, uh, uh, Borat comes to mind. That, however, was done so Borat is an outlier. Um, so generally, every movie you see at the end, you'll see the, what's called the the IATSE bug. So IATSE is the union that I'm a part of, and the bug is the symbol at the end. So Borat was a non-union movie, and it's because the stuff they pull off in Borat, we, you know, I I admire a lot with what he does on the, those movies. There's certainly a time and place for non-union jobs, but you know, when you are shooting, you know, when when it's just one guy running around, that's fine. But when people are doing guerrilla shooting on movies and for instance like they're shooting somebody driving in a car. So just about every movie that you see I mean, every movie, I'm talking like 99%. Um, if the camera isn't is in the car pointing at somebody, it is either a green screen now or it's on a process trailer. That person is not driving the car. But on a movie being done guerrilla style, where they might be actually they might actually have the actor driving the car. You know, they're effectively driving distracted, which is you know, it's dangerous to the camera person in there. You know, if the script supervisor is in the car, they're not being safe either. And then you have to think about everyone else who's on the road, who's now driving with somebody who's distracted. So personally, I, there are some movie makers and some crew members I know that are all for guerrilla filmmaking. I, uh, I have no respect for it. I think it's bad. So I, I actually didn't know that Borat was, not guerrilla style. Like I actually didn't know that it was guerrilla style. Oh yeah, that is that is a that is wow. a a movie that was yes. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen is a very brave man, um, and that was a very brave crew. But uh, they did the reason why they could do stuff like that because you know, for instance, you know you you're talking about this was like the boring side of filmmaking. You have to get permits, right? You have to get a permit from the mm-hmm. city to say that you can have that many people in one place, right? And then you got to get the parking permits, and then you have to get the parking garage, and then you're going to probably have to hire a couple locals to do all of this. So even though movie making is, like, kind of 
secretive, like you could find out where it is. In fact, you could call Atlanta right now, like the city of Atlanta, call their film office and ask what is shooting in the city, and you could probably just get a list of what's going on. Maybe, you know, they might be using dummy names for some of the things, but, you know, they'll tell you what's what's happening because legally they have to. Um, but something that is non-union without permits, you know, that's one of the reasons you would want to do it because there's no paper trail. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I mean, that's <laughs> – again, don't do this, kids. Not Not – not good. Well, I mean, if you're if you're a kid shooting a movie, yeah, you you probably don't need a film permit. That's fine. Um, if right. there are kids listening to this, here's here's the advice from a guy that works on movies. Number one, don't write guns into your projects because if you're gonna you if you're working on a movie that has a gun, you need a cop there, you need armor. It's a whole thing. Even if the gun's not real, it's a huge headache. Just do something else. Someone comes to the movie. <laughs> Two. Um, just always be careful you know if you're shooting in an area if you are shooting guerrilla style try and get permission before you do it um, because if you don't ask permission you shoot in the business or you do shoot in a business you don't do it correctly you trip or breaker all the refrigerators go off you've just destroyed a bunch of foods in a place and then you've ruined this location for everyone and then the three, I don't know, just go make movies. You don't need to be in the film industry to make movies. It's, that's, like, should be rule number one. Because, quite honestly, I, I like working on movies, but, you know, it's, it's not like I'm going to be a director someday, because I am. Right. Um, do you, uh, do you know how, I mean, okay, do you know how other countries... Um, how they do it? Like if you were to go to England or Singapore, or I mean, it's somewhere. different from place place to place. So I worked on Jack Ryan the first season when they came to DC, and they had been shooting in Canada. They came to DC, and the next place they were shooting, I believe, is either Jordan or Lebanon. I'm probably wrong, but one of the things that we had to do was kind of like ship all the equipment to different places. So like. I would say in, like, I don't have enough expertise on that. I've definitely heard about um, shoots in other countries where they have to grease a palm or two and make something happen. But, again, it's, you know, movie making is, it's 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 a carnival. It's just a moving carnival. The difference yeah. is that it's not clowns, it's actors in front of cameras. So <laughs> it's it's kind of the same in a lot of places, maybe like permitting is different, culture around it's different. Um, yeah. But, you know, IOTC is an international union. So, you know, I've worked with members from across the world. Mm. Cool. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that's interesting for me is like movies aren't that old. Like the entertainment film industry, TV industry is not really that old. So it's still in a lot of ways it's like you're you're making it up as you go along or I mean to some extent. You know. But um you know, you hear a lot about you know, are movies gonna go away? Um, do you think movies are gonna go away? No. No painting hasn't gone away. Like think right. about that. Like think about like the style of, you know, just like of realism, right? Of just trying to paint like a landscape, like landscape painting hasn't gone away and, and that's been more refined into other versions, and, you know, and it's, it's the same with like books or novels, you know, the novella hasn't gone away. The novel hasn't gone away. Maybe there are different styles of those books, but if you think about the amount of like eBooks and stories that maybe have fallen out of favor you know, there are still gothic novels being written. Um, yeah, yeah, like film noir. There's film. There's modern film noirs getting made. There's, if you really think right. about it, and there's you really, people are still making silent films. It's yeah, really. Yeah. I well, right. 
I didn't think about it. I like Buster Keaton, but I didn't think about it. Yeah, okay. I like Steven um, Lucas or whoever that was made a silent movie. Yeah, it's it's. Are they going to be the same as when we were kids? No, and that's fine. You know, things should change, and it's not like an art. An art forms change, and it will collapse in itself and it'll become something different but no they're not going away it's 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 just it's an art form and it's in it's a very consumable art form too which is why movies are so big right um okay so john do you have anything you want to say to the internet well, um, so, you know, like most people I that work on movies, I also kind of my own, have my own side hustles. I um, have been producing a audio drama with my partner, Maximilian Clark, and it is called SPR. It's Superhuman Public Radio. It is uh, basically, uh, you know, what would NPR sound like if superheroes were real? So wow, yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's it's silly, it's funny, it's you know, but it's like a big love letter to NPR because that's generally what I listen to most of the time. Well, like, okay, I wasn't even gonna ask you this, but maybe we can talk about it. So, sure. what about like one of the things I've noticed is there's a whole revolution going on about like audio whatever, a pot, entertainment, information, information, whatever, that nobody was expecting, like, until it happened with podcasting and whatever else. Do you know so, who, I would say there is one American artist that knew this was going to happen. He just didn't know exactly how it was going to be, and that's um, Andy Warhol. So, like, way back when, you know, Andy Warhol, I don't know the exact quote, but he basically talked about how everybody's going to have their 15 minutes of fame in the future. Because he kind of saw, he saw the future of art being commodified the way that it is today. Because if you think about how he approached his work, like, he turned commercial objects into fine art objects, Right. But if you think about, you know, how people are making all of these niche shows or their own art using Instagram and, you know, some people are doing like poems on Twitter or if you think about, you know, just the incredible creativity from everyday people you see on like TikTok where they might be just like a normal person in their town. They might be like huge on TikTok and it's not that we have, you know, I mentioned this before, like we used to have a monoculture, right? Like, you know, there were growing up seven channels on TV, right? And like now not only is there like over, you know, like a thousand TV channels now, there's Netflix, there's Amazon Prime, like there's just, there's no one unifying thing anymore. And that's, you know, and that's great. That means that you can make your thing and there will be an audience for it. So, yeah. you know, whether anybody guessed that this was going to happen, no, but that's like the same thing with any, you know, that, with any art form, right? Like, it's, it's, whenever we come up with a new thing, we don't, you know, we don't, like, sit on it to think about how it can be used. We just put it out there and then all of a sudden we're like, wow! Like, Boom. You know, the amount of things that are happening. And I, you I, know, that's just really great. I mean, like, with me, the thing I noticed was, um, like, I was thinking about it one day. Like, I was watching Good Mythical Morning on uh, YouTube. And I was just thinking about, like, 20 years ago, if you'd have told me that I'd be watching this and that I'd be enjoying it, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have believed you. Like, you know, like, I feel like the the business of making television and movies and radio has, has kind of made people think they like certain things that they don't necessarily, you know, like, 
you you're accustomed to the high slick um high concept slick product but maybe it's not just that you know well i i think it's because we've been told that's what media is for the longest time but if anything you know today with people making you know, people who are YouTubers who essentially run television shows out of their houses, you know, we're on your radio show right now that you're producing from your house. Um, I assume that you're in your house. I, I know that I am. And <laughs> this is something that will be on the Internet. Yeah. And it is something that none of us could have anticipated, you know, with my own, you know, with SPR. You know, I look at our viewership and, you know, I saw there was somebody in, like, Indonesia that had listened to the show and you know we just released this like two weeks ago and we've got right. listeners across the world and that's amazing you know i'm what amazes me is like i'm routinely in in like the top 100 podcasts like routinely and i'm floored honestly just it's amazing to me that anybody listens to this at all Honestly, well, you know, knock on wood for even more success. Yeah. Um. So you said that radio show was you're doing it's a it's not a radio show it's a uh, audio what did you call it? So it's a you know it's a podcast but you know it's an audio drama. Um. You you can find us at www superhumanpublicradio.com and you know you can find us on just about every major podcasting app out there under SPR and um, we're really oh. proud of it because it's, it's, it's designed to sound like the real thing we do a lot of world building around it like our, our website is entirely in universe we have you know Twitter accounts for like organizations that are in in the world that kind of like tweet at each other and they're all a part of the universe. Now, honestly, honestly, can I ask you a question? Um, yeah. Did you, did you come up with this idea because of the president, because of the president? And no. And no. Well, it's, it's, I, you know, the thing that made me want to make movies was actually the TV show lost. And, because I really liked that show, and I tend to like shows that have, like, very deep lore. And one of the things I really fell in love with on that show was how they made all of these these things in the show, like, real, right? Like, they had an organization called the Dharma Corporation, and they made a website for it where if you, like, clicked around, you could find secret things for the show. Like, even one of the characters was reading a book, and like they published the book. I and, remember that website. Yeah, and I I just <laughs> I love when projects take the time to kind of like lead you into the joke. I, you know, there's something you right. know, like my my dad was a magician, so like I kind of I I grew oh, yeah. up in a in a very like theatrical world sometimes. And, you know, he would tell me the stories of these guys. And part of the deal with magic is really kind of getting people to believe what you're doing is real. And I, you know, with this project, you know, because, you know, superheroes are not real, you know, and superheroes are inherently very silly. But, you know, we try to deal with, like, real-life topics on the show. And by making these little things here and there, you know, by having a Twitter account for this thing. And even our press release was done as like, oh, like, you know, we used to broadcast the show like psychically into people's minds, but, you know, now we're just going to release it online because that guy has a retirement, <laughs> right? And, you know, the, the more fun it is for you, I, you know, I just, I, I, I want people that listen to this and like look at it to just be delighted by like those details because yeah it it's it's a lot of fun to make and you know we all we all want to be in on the joke you know like we want to believe that the magic's real and every 
step you can take towards making that thing um, real in the minds of your audience, you know, I, I absolutely want to do that. So let me ask. I heard that you just admitted that you're a fellow Lost, uh, a fellow Lost fan. Yeah. Because I love, I like Lost. Um, I do. Um, where are you on? Uh, did first of all, did it ever jump the shark for you? You know, if you read about that. I didn't, I wasn't like the biggest fan of the last season of it, but when you read about the making of that show, it's so amazing. Cause the original pitch on it was basically, uh, like an executive at ABC, you know, was like, we want something that's like Gilligan's Island, but you know, like also like Castaway. And it was, it was kind of a flavor they were pursuing. So, you know, Damon Lindelof and J.J. Abrams, like, wound up writing the pilot of Lost. And they, you know, got everything together, and J.J. had had a bunch of success, and he wound up um, directing the pilot, which, by the way, the pilot was, like, $11 million, which... That's amazing. Right, for network TV. Well, today, you know, prestige television generally will run anywhere from, like, six to... 11, 12 million dollars an episode, right? And, but at that time, like that, it was the largest pilot, like, ever ordered, right? And they, they shot it originally. Michael Keaton was going to be Jack and they were going to kill him, the pilot. And it, that didn't happen. They got this murderer's row of actors that, you know, we didn't know were going to be that good, but obviously they saw something in them. And it wound up being, you know, it's the last kind of watermark popular TV show before kind of like the modern age of prestige television making. And they were just making it up when they when it, as they went along. And they've admitted this. There was no great yeah. plan. They were just like, you know what? This stuff's cool. Let's keep making it. You know, because they got I, to season three and Damon Lindelof wanted to end the show there. And they were like, we think you can do 10 seasons, which is why it went so long. I honestly... Honestly, I remember reading this this thing where they, somebody was some executive or somebody was watching the show and and realizing there was all these this stuff they hadn't tied up yet, so they hired somebody to just watch the show and write down what all they haven't tied up yet. And they I don't think they still even tied up everything, but I I really did like that show a lot. Until I didn't. <laughs> well, I think the reason why you see miniseries now, uh, as opposed to other things, is because they can end. In a movie, making TV shows, you know, right. in, in talking to producers, is that like the magic number was a hundred episodes for syndication. It goes into syndication. It plays on TV networks. You get a paycheck for as long as it runs, right? Which is why shows used to be. 22 episodes and why like you know they would have episodes in one location it was literally just to give the crew a break right and that's what a bottle episode's called but now because we you know they want the thing to be evergreen like we're kind of seeing shows be smaller like they have an end and can kind of go from there and it's you know, it's it's firing a bottle. Sometimes you have it as long, and it, you know, making making any story is so hard. <laughs> it's just well, that's that's true. Actually, making a story is hard. And you know, we are just so lucky to be getting it. All of all of this like great media and storytelling and movie making today, like we we're spoiled, and we I feel yeah. like out, like as a as a media consuming audience, sometimes we got to step back and kind of go like, whoa, <laughs> like there's a lot of really good stuff here. We got to maybe give, give everyone a break. <laughs> yeah. And you were talking about how there's no monoculture anymore. And I got to, I mean, okay. Like I'm, I'm not this guy that would like this normally, but there's a show I watch called the magnificent century, which is Turkish. 
And it's just amazing, you know? And then you go on YouTube and you realize that, oh, God, there's people from all over the world that watch this. But in my little circle, I'm, like, the only person that knows about it. <laughs> but, you know? that's, but, but that's how media is being consumed now, and that's good. Only good can come from that. Right. Um, hmm. Well, thank you. Um, what's your show? Your show is called S. What is that again? So it's, it's FPR. It's Superhuman Public Radio. Uh, Superhuman Public us, Radio. Yeah. You can find us at SPR Pod, um, and on most social networks. Um, our website is superhumanpublicradio.com. Um, you know, if, if you enjoy NPR, if you like, you know, Marvel movies, it's, it's kind of like yeah. a marriage between them. It's, uh, it's funny, it's dramatic, um, and it's, you know, the episodes are around like 20 minutes a piece, so, uh, it's, it's not gonna eat up your day. But, uh, we've, we've worked on this for about a year now, and, you know, this is wow. our first season, 12 episodes, we're, we're very proud of it. I tell you what, um, I'm going to be fiddling around on the website today anyway. Uh, if you send me that link, I'll throw it in my description. And, uh, Great. But, yeah, I need to fiddle around in the web- website anyway. Yeah. Because but, you're on. I'm going to put you on. Well, thank you. <laughs> this was a lot of fun. It was. It was. Uh, thank you, John. And uh, as always, um as always, people, I'm having a great day, and I hope you are too. And just hang on one second. I'm going to unhook the recording. And um, all right.